church. Happy to be with you. My name is Austin. I am the youth and young adults pastor here at Branches. Thank you, guys. Um, I'm a little bit congested today. Um, I was sick earlier, so a little bit is remaining. But for many of you who've known me for a long time, you might be thinking you sound the same as always. And the reason is, I don't know what happened. Seventh grade, start surfing. If I plug my nose, talk, unplug my nose, talk, sounds exactly the same. So business as usual. But being sick is a wild ride. You were just not yourself at all. At the beginning of the week on Monday, I went down and it was not good at all. I'll spare you the details. I want to keep it classy on Sunday mornings. No details about my sickness, but let me tell you, it really got me thinking. I can relate, King David, on the valley of the shadow of death, as there was evil to be feared all around me. But the weird part of being sick is you have this mental fog. You're just not able to think straight. You're not quite yourself. For example, I was talking to one of my best friends, Kyle Lawrence. And he said, now that I've been basically fasting for the past two days, I should release a cleanse routine, kind of like an influencer, to which I said some graphic words that I will not share, and then said, yes, use code AUSTIN10 for 10% off on my schedule. Just common verbiage for influencers on Instagram. You say the name and then the number 10 afterwards. And let me tell you, Branch's family, this was a huge missed opportunity for me. I said Austin 10. I should have just said Aus 10. My name and the number 10. This was low-hanging fruit, and I fully missed it. You know, for those of you who know me, dad jokes are like the breath in my lungs. Even before I was a father, and I missed out, and you see, this was the result of this mental fog that I had from the sickness. I wasn't able to think clearly and therefore I wasn't able to deliver. And today I'm gonna to be teaching on Jesus as supreme over all things. And how when we have some type of spiritual sickness, we're not able to think clearly. When we have a spiritual sickness, we have this mental fog, we put things over Jesus when he is in fact to be over all things. And today I'm going to be touching on the remedies for spiritual sickness, the supremacy of Christ, and how we as his followers ought to live our lives accordingly. We're going to derive our study today from the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, beginning our new series in the book of Hebrews, titled Standing Firm. And that is taken out of Hebrews 10.23, this heart posture of standing firm. Hebrews 10.23 writes, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. We're going to experience a lot of goodness over the next few months in the book of Hebrews, beginning with Hebrews chapter 1. If you all all open up there with me. Hebrews chapter 1, if you have a Bible, if you need a Bible, you can raise your hand and an usher will bring one to you. The words will be on the screen. Hebrews is like the last 10% of the Bible, so you pretty much skip to the very end. If you got to Revelation, you're too far. You guys know all about Revelation by now. All right, Hebrews chapter one. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. 
The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I've become your father? Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. And speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. But about the sun, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, in the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment they will be changed. But you remain, but you remain in the same, and your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Pray with me, church. So King Jesus, as we go through this text, I pray that we can get a clear image of who we are to see you as, as supreme, as above all things, as Lord. Pray this in your name. Amen. So let's begin with some context for the book of Hebrews. First off, the author is not known to us. We do not know who wrote the book of Hebrews. There's some speculations of who it could be, but we haven't completely landed on someone. Traditionally, it'll be seen as Paul the Apostle as the one who wrote it, but some scholars have made strong cases that it's actually Priscilla. Priscilla, who's referenced in the book of Acts in chapter 18 as a tent maker like Paul and referenced by Paul in Romans 16 for her and her husband risking their lives to save his neck. But we don't know who it is. And though the author of the book of Hebrews is not fully agreed upon, the book of Hebrews remains canon to the library that we call the Bible as its sound theology and its consistency with the overall message, the gospel, that God has this great love for us, Humanity has fallen nature, and we have a desire, we have a dire need for a Savior to restore all things. Another note, the book of Hebrews was addressed specifically to Jewish audience. While many of the gospel accounts and New Testament letters were written to believers and non-Jews, these Gentiles, this book was written to the Jewish people to reestablish the lordship of Jesus. As they're struggling in their faith, this is reestablishing the Lord of Jesus. And this is also to link Jesus to the God that they have been worshiping, Yahweh. This book, it's helping connect all the dots for them. And the reason why the author had to do this was because many Jews were saying that calling Jesus God is blasphemy. Blasphemy meaning speaking in a way that's sacrilegious, in a way that is offensive about God. So what the author is doing with this first chapter is using excerpts from the book of Psalm and other sections from the Old Testament to demonstrate that Jesus as Yahweh is not blasphemy. The author is using mutually agreed upon truths, excerpts from the Old Testament, so to support their point. Their point being, God has been saying this from the beginning. It all points to Jesus. 
As the creators of the Bible Project put it so beautifully, the Bible, it's a unified story that points to Jesus. Now, diving into today's text, the author begins with saying that God has spoken to our ancestors through, to the, uh, through the prophets at many times and in many ways. Speaking to Moses through the burning bush, Elijah through a small, still voice, Isaiah from a vision of heaven, Hosea through navigating through a difficult marriage, and Amos by a basket of fruit. And I feel that, ministry through food. I feel the presence of the Lord as I see the presence of ramen. I feel you, Amos. So the Lord, he's speaking through the prophets in the past, but now he's taken on a different route. He's taken on a different method, speaking to us by his son, Jesus, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also created the universe, according to verse 2. And you might be thinking, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. Jesus was there from the beginning? God made the universe. I thought Jesus was born later. Book two, the sequel. But what we see in the book of John, chapter one, is Jesus, he's always been since the beginning, in the present, and forevermore. As John writes to his audience in John chapter one, verses one through five, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made, and without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Then skipping to verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. So Jesus was with God in the beginning as Jesus is God, as he is of the Trinity, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Godhead, three and one. And if any of you here is new to your faith and this feels like kind of a difficult concept to grasp, that's okay. Just like anything with the faith, anything with the Bible that might be hard, just keep reading it, keep studying it, and allow it to form you over time. Following Jesus, it's a lifelong decision, not simply a one-time decision. Continuing on, we see in today's text, the author makes the case that by knowing Jesus, we will know God. Verse 3 stating, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. The sun is the exact representation of his father's being. On a similar note, Timothy Keller, one of my favorite theologians, once said, you get to know a person best by their words. You will know if someone prefers coffee over tea by asking them. We know God best by his word, and his word became flesh, Jesus. Through Jesus, we can best know God. People will often ask, what is God like? What is God like? Is he super serious all the time? Wrathful all the time? Is he just a hippie up in the clouds? What if God was one of us? just a stranger on a bus trying to make his way home. Joanne Osborne, I hear you, I see you. And to answer her question, he became like one of us. As God came in the flesh as Jesus, fully God, fully man, growing up as a person in a poor town called Nazareth. And by this Jesus, we get to know God, okay? Well, what is Jesus like then? 
Well, as we do a case study throughout the gospel accounts and we look at the character of Jesus, we're able to gather that he was driven by compassion. It was the fuel that drove him. He was playful with his words at times. He had a good sense of humor. We see that he was an absolute sage. He was able to condense meaty biblical truths into small palatable sentences. You see that he would get angry at times, though only at those who called themselves religious and abused their religiosity. You see that he was a storyteller and a really good one. He would use stories to enhance the lives of those around him, telling them about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like this. He had a big leaning toward those who others wanted no business with. The tax collectors, the lepers, those with infectious diseases, sinners. And by his great depths of love for humanity, as he was nail-pierced to the cross with a crown of thorns pressed against his forehead and blood gushing down into his eyes and mouth, he cries out to the crowd among him, to his father, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's what God's like. And when we look at the character of Jesus, we see the character of God as Jesus is the exact representation of his being. The text continues on. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. So what we can draw from the text so far is Jesus, he is a being of power and wisdom by whom the universe was crafted. He's also a being of unfathomable love, bearing the weight of our sin, having provided purification for our sins. And now Jesus sits at the right hand of God in heaven, ultimately supreme, ultimately powerful. He is God through and through. So now that the author has made these claims about Jesus being God, the author now goes on to pull references from the Old Testament to make their case. First quoting Psalm chapter 2, verse 7 in our verse 5. Speaking through King David, God declares, you are my son. Today I've become your father. And then next, I will be his father and he will be my son. You see, with these two passages, the author notes that God had never declared any of the angels to be his son, only Jesus. And this was an important point to make due to the great reverence the Jews had toward the angels, this great reverence because of the angels' role in giving the law in multiple accounts. And so it was therefore essential that the author of Hebrews shifted their perspective not making lesser things, angels take superiority over Jesus, who is to be over all as he is God himself. They needed a shift of perspective. Let's take it back to earlier this week when I was dying in bed. Tuesday, I was lying in bed, pretty much better. Monday, very sick. Tuesday night, I was pretty good. But my nose was incredibly stuffy, and I kind of felt like I was going to die. Because I am drama. I am a bit dramatic when I get sick. So I'm just laying there, nose super stuffy, just looking up at the ceiling, praying the old prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. 
I'm here to tell the story, everyone. I made it. I made it out alive. And you see, thank you guys. I overcame my little sickness. It's a bit dramatic for a 28-year-old with a stuffy nose. But everyone, as of Friday, I'm 29 now. So I'm actually a little bit older, a little bit wiser. That's the old me, okay? That, that me is not preaching right now. This is the new me. So don't worry, you can listen. But you see, when you're sick, it skews your perspective on things. You don't really think clearly. And in a similar sense, once again, when we are spiritually sick, when things are spiritually out of order, placing created things over our creator God, we lose perspective. So the author of Hebrews, he's giving perspective. Jesus is greater than the angels as he is called son by God himself. Next, the author states in verse six, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Now, typically the title firstborn was used for a child that was born first. Note takers, you can write that one down. But rabbis, they would also use the title firstborn as a messianic title, meaning it would be the verbiage used to, do, to describe the coming Messiah, the one who would be the savior of the world. And with the text from Deuteronomy, the author is declaring that Jesus is to be superior over the angels because it's he that the angels are worshiping rather than just another angel that worships, which then ties into Psalm 104.4. He makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. So this is showing that the angels, they serve him. They belong to him rather than he being of them. The author is continuing to shift the perspective. That's what this is about, shifting the perspective, giving them some clarity as these new Christians are struggling with their faith, shifting the perspective. God declares about his son, verses eight through nine, that Jesus has a throne that will last forever, reigning with a scepter of justice, loving righteousness, hating wickedness, being set above all of his companions. He is anointed with joy. You see, this is all kingly verbiage used to describe King Jesus, God declaring Jesus as the beholder of the throne as Jesus is God himself. As I referenced earlier from John chapter one, the word was with God and the word was God. Along with these verses, what we see in the following, God declares, you, Lord from the beginning, laid the foundation of the earth. Tying in once again to John 1, 3, through him, all things were made, and without him, nothing was made that had been made. The author's really hammering in their case, the deity of Jesus, showing them who they should put their trust in, their hope in as they're struggling in their faith. Maybe they're hearing from other Jews that haven't bought in on Jesus, like, why are you looking at this Jesus? What are you thinking? The author of Hebrews is really bringing in Old Testament reference after another, after another, after another. The reference is ending with, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. While the angels stand before God, Jesus sits beside God, ruling and reigning. Jesus is not on par with the angels. Jesus is God. So now let's take a step back from the theological denseness of this passage. The Jewish audience, they had a hard time grasping Jesus to be over angels, and for many of them, for them to believe that he is God himself. They needed a shift of perspective. 
They needed to reorder what they held to highest importance. Now, for us today, we might not have a hard time seeing Jesus as superior over angels. For those of us that are walking in the faith, we're saved by grace through faith and he who took our place doing what we could have never done on our own. Like, we, we see him as God. Yes, as Christians, we see him as God. We might not have the same struggle, but at the same time, we may hold things supreme over Jesus unintentionally, unknowingly. To further paint the picture of what I mean, a hidden blessing in life is a dead zone. You guys maybe know what I'm talking about when you're driving somewhere in the middle of nowhere and there's no cell phone service, and you're like, what do I even do with my life? Just a couple examples, some scenarios that maybe you have encountered before. Number one, you're driving, and you go through a dead zone, and your music or podcast turned off because you did not save it to your library earlier. So now you are driving in silence, just staring straight. Number two, you're on a road trip and you're in the middle of nowhere. You go to a gas station. You're waiting for your car to get filled up. No service, staring at dirt. Or number three, you're in line at a grocery store in the mountains. And once again, check your phone. No service. Do I talk to the people next to me? Maybe you're an introvert, so you're like, no. You embrace the silence. And you see, these can be very uncomfortable times, these dead zones, these moments when we are not distracted, but we're actually fully present with our thoughts. These are the moments when we often discover what's actually most important to us. We see where our minds wander off to when there's nothing to distract us. So what are we thinking about in life's dead zones? Perhaps money, how we can make more of it, why we don't have enough of it. Maybe material things, the next big toy we want to purchase, the next big item, the thing that we're dreaming of. Once I get this, then I'm going to be stoked. Are we thinking about our social image, what people think about us being our highest concern? You see, dead zones can help reveal what is spiritually dead in us and can help point us toward life, where we can find spiritual life in Christ. And this ties back to the spiritual reordering, to gaining a proper spiritual perspective. This text, that being Jesus is supreme over angels, but more than that, he's to be supreme over everything in our lives. So how do we get to the point then when we are in a dead zone and instead of just embracing the silence, looking at our phone, we're contemplating the goodness of God. We're led to pray, God, what are you up to and how would you like to minister to me in this moment? God, how can we make earth look a little bit more like heaven? How do we turn dead zones into opportunities to find life? For to a degree, we all face some level of spiritual sickness where things are out of order in our hearts. So what do we do with it? Well, first, let me make this clear. When we are saved by the grace of Jesus, we're forever saved. And that's a done deal. You don't need to worry about that. Paul states to the church of Rome that nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a good word, but don't get it twisted. That doesn't permit us to place things over Jesus our Lord. For in doing so, we miss out on the lordship of Jesus, granting other things lordship over our lives, things that will fail us time and time again, things that will never truly satisfy us. So what could be some spiritual remedies for spiritual sickness? 
How do we turn dead zones to opportunities for life? Making Jesus be what we dwell on the most and by that are formed by him the most rather than by any fleeting thing we find in this world. Answer would be just the simple practices of the way of Jesus. Scripture reading, prayer, embracing community, and generosity. Each of these practices taking you beyond your Sunday experience. Though these are essential, Sundays are not enough to get you through the week spiritually. But with these practices, they spiritually equip you to carry out each day in Jesus for Jesus. They help shift your perspective from the ways of this world to kingdom perspective. They help you stand firm in the faith. So a couple notes on each. First one being on scripture reading. Now, most of you probably don't know this about me, but I have five mentors, and you also might not know that you can have that many mentors, but I do, because I need a lot of help. And one of them is, no one really laughed at that joke. All right, fine. Like, we agree. One of them is named Zane Hall, and he is an elder here at Branches. And I'm actually not sure if he knows he's my mentor. We've never used that verbiage before. We've never DTR'd. We've defined the relationship. But I ask him questions. He gives me answers, and then I do it. So therefore, Zane, you are mentoring me. And I mentioned Zane just be, not just because we meet up fairly often, but we also text often as well. And on Tuesday, when I was being dramatically sick, Zane texted me a question to chew on. Do you need to read the Bible to be a Christian? And he said, this isn't a trick question. I was like, okay, let me think of like a potential counter question. I was like, okay, what are your daily habits or, pri or priorities, and are they shaping you to become more like Jesus than if you were to read the Bible? To which Zane responds, maybe the counter question could be, do you want to know Jesus or not? And that, my friends, is why he's mentoring me and not the other way around. That was a way better question than mine. And truly, that's how it is. Do we want to know Jesus or not? We read the Bible to know Jesus, as Jesus is the word become flesh. And so I encourage you, church, make reading the word of God a daily rhythm in your life, if you haven't already, beginning with the gospel accounts, beginning with the gospel of John. It's a really good one. Great place to start. Have Jesus be the lens in which you see all scripture through. As I said earlier, the Bible's a unified story that leads to him anyway. And as we read God's word, our spiritual walks gain depth and we have solid grounding to stand firm upon. Next is prayer. You see, from the Bible, we learn God's voice. We learn his heart toward us. And by prayer, through the power of the Holy Spirit, within all believers, we are guided by his voice. We are guided by his heart. See, prayer is not simply, God, can you do this? God, can you make sure this doesn't happen? It's to deepen our communion with God. It's to deepen our relationship with him. It's to reorient our hearts and minds around the heart and mind of the Father. It shifts our perspective. That Jesus truly is supreme over all things. So I encourage you all, practice prayer daily. Practice the presence of God. Start even with the Lord's Prayer found in Matthew 6, that which begins with our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Have that be the launch point into further dialogue with the Lord. And watch as it changes everything. Watch as prayer changes everything. Not in a prosperity gospel fashion at all, but rather in God refashioning our hearts to be more on brand with the kingdom of God and experience the peace and joy that comes with it.
My next remedy for spiritual sickness is community. As we all bear the image of God together, not just individually, but corporately. As Genesis 1.26 states, let us make man in our image. You guys ever notice the us there? When God made humanity in the image of the, of the uh, Trinity, the Godhead community, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one, we are made by community for community. And by community, we get to learn more about God as each of you uniquely bear his image, and it's beautiful. As we are in community, I get to learn more about God because I'm with all of you. That's what it is intended for. By community, the body becomes stronger as we're all unified and the kingdom advancement becomes all the more clear. And by community, we get refined. As Proverbs 27, 17 states, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And I'm a bit of a feeler, so for a moment, I thought, how would it be if iron had feelings? It being sharpened would be a painful process. It probably would not like that process, but it's for it to become sharper, less dull. It's ultimately for the iron's benefit. And oftentimes, it's easy to do the Christian walk alone with no accountability, no check-ins, leading to a spiritually dull life because there's no pain from sharpening. It's easier. But if you've been at branches for any amount of time, you know that it is our deep desire for you all to get incredibly plugged in with community groups. These happen on a weekly basis, meeting in homes, with serving teams, desiring to have you contribute and find the joy and contribution to the family. We have countless parachurch organizations that we talk about all the time in announcements, men's group, women's group, getting a mentor, the list goes on and on. So I encourage you, church, take hold of the community presented to you. Take your faith beyond Sunday gatherings, which again, they are essential, but take it beyond and embrace community throughout your weeks, not simply to end your weeks, and stand firm as the body together. My last remedy I'm going to touch on, though there are many more, is generosity. And I'm talking with time and with money as these tend to be the most valuable things to us. They tend to be the very things that we hold lordship over the lordship of Christ. It makes sense why you win in this culture. I understand. It's the water that we swim in. Orange County is incredibly expensive, so money is needed. And time's the only thing you can't gain more of, so I understand. So why give? Well, to quote Timothy Keller one last time, he once said, we are to give past the point of it changing our lives. We are to give past the point of it changing our lives. So not simply giving for the sake of giving, like, okay, I checked off a box, but is our giving actually changing things in us? Are we allowing our giving to be a vehicle in which God does transformative work in our hearts and minds? And this isn't about dollar amount. This is about the heart. Recall the story about the woman who gave the two coins she gave all that she had, though it seemed insignificant to those around her. Meanwhile, those who were giving a bunch of stuff, they weren't giving praise from Jesus. They were giving out of their abundance. It's all about the heart posture. Essentially, by giving of our time and resources, we are giving the throne of our hearts fully to God. 
We are allowing God to shape us and mold us through our giving, arguably one of the most transformative ways that God will work in us as we give of our time and resources, the two things that are very hard to give of. So now that we've discussed all this content, where do we land the plane? Jesus is supreme, and Jesus is to be Lord over all things. You see, this message that was the same to the Jews, it's the same for us today. For the Jews, they needed to hear that Jesus is Lord over the angels. They needed some comfort as they were struggling with their faith. And for us, we need to hear that Jesus, he is Lord over all things. That life goes best when we have things ordered properly. Jesus over all. So I want to ask you, Branches Church, is Jesus supreme in your life? Or is something have supremacy over Christ? Do you need to have that shift in perspective or are you standing firm? I'm going to end with the words of Jesus out of Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 25. Jesus declares, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Is our life founded on the rock? Because if not, the house is coming down. We need to be founded on Christ. Jesus needs to be supreme over all things, for that's the only way that we'll be able to weather all types of storms. Will you stand with me as we pray and go into this time of response through worship? Jesus, teach us what it looks like to consider you as supreme over all. I pray that you will incline all of our hearts in this moment to your majesty, to your glory, to your incredible, indescribable love. Jesus, I pray that you will fill us with awe and wonder, and it will lead us into a deeper heart posture of worship, of surrender, of all out pouring out adoration, even if we sound silly because we're going hard and the person next to us is kind of quiet. May we be unashamed with how we praise you, God. May you stir in us worship by revealing to us in this moment by the power of your Holy Spirit that you are supreme. So God, we give you the praise that is so rightly due to you. Stir in our hearts your goodness, incline us to worship. Amen.